You know, I don't want to get too far ahead uh, of where we're going this morning, but in many ways, the text we're going to look at this morning, the message we're going to hear this morning, could really be summarized in, in four words. And, and those four words are, I depend on you. I depend on you. I depend on you. And Jesus says in John 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And listen to this. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. I want us just to hang out on that word nothing for a second. Jesus doesn't say apart from me, you can do some things. He doesn't say apart from me, you can do most things. Jesus says apart from me, you can do nothing. There is no thing that we can do apart from Jesus. And so this morning, what we're going to hear, what it means to, to be fully dependent on him. We have this tendency sometimes, I think, to leave this place and, and then like Monday morning, like we once again, we declare our independence from him. I had you yesterday, I needed you yesterday, but now I'm going to kind of do this in my own strength. We depend on him. We depend on him. And so, Father, as we come to you this morning, that is our prayer, that we would depend on you. We would depend on you. That we would renounce our, our independence, that we would renounce any ability to do this on our own. Lord, we depend totally and completely on you. Father, we confess that there are so many things that we try to do. There are so many things we try to accomplish in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own understanding, apart from your strength, apart from your wisdom, and apart from your understanding. So Lord, today may we depend on you. Help us to know that apart from you, we can do nothing. Will you be our everything? And Father, as we come to this word this morning, we want to see your son, Jesus. We want to understand him more clearly. We want to understand your love for us more clearly. We want to grow a deeper love for you. So Father, to that end this morning, we submit ourselves and we ask for your will to be done. Lord, we ask now that you would speak to us a word that will edify your church and glorify your name. Father, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. We bring ourselves under it now. May it bear fruit in our lives. And we ask all of these things in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ, the one upon whom we depend. We ask all of these things in his name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. And as you find your seats this morning, I'm gonna invite you to turn with me in your Bible, <clears throat> excuse me, to uh, Matthew chapter six is where we're gonna be going once again this morning. Um, uh, our time together is gonna be a little bit uh, quicker on the front end today. We get to celebrate something special at the end of our worship gathering this morning, which is the recognition of two new elder candidates. And so we're gonna jump right into Matthew six here in, in just uh, a moment. Um, but if you're new with us, very quickly, um, for the last few months, since the beginning of the summer, we've been walking verse by verse through Matthew chapters five through seven, what's known to us as the Sermon on the Mount in a message series that we've simply called the Jesus Way because it was John Stott who once said that Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, is the closest thing that Jesus ever gave as a manifesto for the Christian life. And so if you're just wondering, what does a true Christian look like or what should my life look like as a follower of Jesus, we can simply go to Matthew chapters 5 through 7. 
This is Christ's vision for his people, for his church, that he calls us to embrace and to be living out uh, as his kingdom representatives here on earth. And so this morning in Matthew chapter 6, we're picking up in a similar thread that we've been tracking for the last few weeks, where Jesus is identifying a few spiritual disciplines. A few weeks ago, we looked at the discipline of giving. For the last couple of weeks, we've looked at praying, and today we're going to look at fasting. So Matthew 6, we'll be looking this morning at verses 16 through 18. Uh, 14 years ago, this past week, I was a junior in college, and I had to have an emergency appendectomy. Um, I'd had pain for a couple of days, and I finally broke down and went um, to the hospital. So I got there late one afternoon. I had emergency surgery that evening, and surgery procedure went well, and so I was hoping I'd be checking out over the next day or two. But um, in the event of surgery and post-surgery, I developed a paralytic ileus. And if you don't know what that is, it essentially just shuts down the function of your intestines. And so typically, you know, this is something that can pass in just a couple of days. Uh, But I ended up actually staying in the hospital for a couple of weeks. Uh, Mine was significant, and it's something that simply wouldn't pass, simply wouldn't move through. And during that period of time, I wasn't allowed to eat or drink anything. Uh, The way I was receiving nutrition, the way I was receiving fluid was just just through an IV in in my arm. And so from a period of time of being sick for a couple of days and being in the hospital for a couple of weeks, and then uh, a couple weeks uh, post-operation after that, in that period of time, about a month, I lost almost 40 pounds. Um, So I checked into the hospital at about 180 pounds, and then a few weeks later, I was down to about 140 pounds, and I only have ever landed kind of like back in the middle of that. And it's it's caused uh, several complications for me over the last 14 years and things I've had to keep working through, and and it was significant for me. You know, it's amazing as I was sitting there in the hospital, even as I didn't eat or drink anything for a couple of weeks, um, I was still sustained. You know, the interesting thing about the paralytic ileus, the way that it's shutting down your intestine, is that I really didn't feel any sort of hunger pains in my stomach. And I had the IV going into my arm, and so that's what was keeping me hydrated. That's what was giving me the, the nutrition that my body needed. And so it's just kind of this, this miracle of medicine that even though I wasn't eating, I was still being fed. And the picture that we see in fasting is, is not just a picture of us stopping our eating, It's not just that we cease doing something. In fasting, as we present ourselves before the Lord in this discipline, we are also receiving something in return. Even as we abstain from physical impulses, the Lord is still feeding the spiritual desires of our souls. Now, this is the third section of Matthew chapter 6 that starts out with the words, and when you. So Jesus, in this section of Matthew chapter 6, going back just a few weeks, he, he starts out three different statements in when you. Talking about things that he just assumes, things he expects that we will be doing as his followers. And in all three instances, he follows this same pattern. And when you give, and when you pray, and when you fast, these are three pillars of Jewish faith and practice that the people of his day were practicing that we continue to practice today. And by using that word when, Jesus is assuming that these are things that we'll be doing. So each week, for the last few weeks, we've highlighted that term, when. These things are not suggestions, they're assumptions. Jesus assumes these are things that we will regularly be doing as his followers, giving and praying and fasting. But with each of these practices, Jesus doesn't just tell us to perform the action. Jesus also addresses the motive that's behind the action. So we've gone back a couple of times to Matthew 6, verse 1, where Jesus gives this warning. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So when we give, Jesus says, don't sound a trumpet before you. 
He says, don't make a big show out of your giving. Don't make it some big public spectacle. He says, as a matter of fact, let your giving be done so secretively that one hand doesn't even know what the other's doing. He says, and when you pray, don't go to the street corners. Don't go to publicly perform in the eyes of man. Don't think that you're impressing God. Don't think that you're impressing others with the length of your prayers and the colorful language that you use. And we're not doing these things. He says, as a matter of fact, go to your room. Shut your door. Pray to your father who is in secret and trust that your father who sees in secret will reward you. And in the same thread, as we get into Matthew 6, 16 this morning, Jesus warns against fasting in order to be seen by others. So the main point here, if you've been here over the last few weeks, the main point week in and week out really has not changed. The main point of these passages, because they're all in the same vein. You could really just substitute for the main point this morning what we've seen the last couple of weeks, giving and then praying and now fasting. And so very simply this morning, almost on repeat from the last few weeks, we see that we do not fast in order to be seen by others. We don't do this for the praise and the glory of man. Our spiritual disciplines are not about eliciting praise and honor and glory from others. We fast because we are already seen by God. Our motivation in our giving, our motivation in our praying, our motivation in our fasting, it's not that we desire to be seen by others, to be known by others, to receive glory and honor from others, but because we desire to bring ultimate glory to God. So in fasting, we don't just hunger for the praise of man. In fasting, what we are ultimately hungering for is the glory of God. Fasting, uh, Richard Foster has written, is the voluntary refrain of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. And, And this is an important distinction we need to pay attention to because fasting is not just about abstaining. Fasting is not just about abstaining from something because we are still replacing what we're abstaining from with something else. We're replacing a physical impulse with the spiritual desires. And so in the same way that that IV was sustaining my body, was hydrating me, was giving me the nutrients that I needed while I was not eating, in the same way as we abstain from physical desires, the Lord feeds the spiritual heart. And so I think it could be argued that of all the spiritual disciplines, fasting is probably the one that's the least practiced, especially in proportion to the other disciplines. Uh, and, and you just think about things like, like our, our reading and our praying and our giving. And I think one of the reasons why it's probably the least practiced is because it's the one that's the most misunderstood. And, and so th- there's a few reasons, I think, for this. I just want to briefly walk through. Why is it that fasting tends to be misunderstood and uh, less practiced than the rest of the spiritual disciplines? I think these will be on the screen for you. Uh, we see and have experienced that you know, while fasting can be corporate, Jesus in Matthew 6, he calls us to do this in secret. And so there is a sense in which if we're doing this the right way, if we are fasting, we're probably not making a big show out of it. And then maybe don't, you know, others don't, don't even recognize that it's going on. And so it's, it's sometimes it could be potentially hard to identify with a model of this because Jesus says that this is something that we do uh, together in secret. I mean, maybe I'm dead wrong this morning, guys. Maybe all of you guys are fasting and I'm the only one who's not. You know, there, there's a sense in which, though, I think it, it could be easy to miss because we, we don't do these things for the praise and the honor of man. We do these in secret before the Father. And so I think Jesus, because he calls us to do this, uh, could lead us to some confusion. Uh, a second tendency that we have is that we, we tend to think of hunger in a negative light. So, so again, you know, today, it wasn't even planned this way, but today happens to be a collection Sunday for our food bank out at St. Helena Elementary School. And, and as followers of Jesus Christ, we are rightly concerned about hunger. We are rightly concerned about food insecurity. God calls us to be concerned about these things. 
So we're rightly concerned about these things as followers of Christ, but we tend to associate hunger only in a negative light. When we think of hunger, we think of global hunger, we think of global food insecurity, or like in my case, this year alone, I've had two medical procedures that required me to fast the day before. So so again, a lot of times when we think about fasting, we think about surgery. We think about something bad that's going to happen the next day or something that we're dreading that we're not looking for. A third reason that I think maybe uh, sticks out to us and why we might not fast as much as we do the other disciplines is maybe that we're worried it's going to turn us into some sort of religious fanatic. Um, Fasting sometimes, it's it's wrongly associated with, with trying to achieve some sort of higher mystical experience. You know, that maybe by abstaining from food and drink, you'll get to have some sort of hallucination and, and higher vision. And, you know, we think about fasting, maybe you think about somebody like John the Baptist in the New Testament. You know, what, what does John do? He, he lives in the wilderness away from people, and he, has a, he wears a garment of camel's hair, and uh, his diet is wild locusts and honey. And, and so we think about things like that. It's like, I'm, I'm not really trying to turn into that, right? Like, it's, and, and could possibly shy away. But I, I think the fourth reason is the reason why most of us maybe misunderstand, fast, misunderstand this is because the other spiritual disciplines have more of a do emphasis, and fasting has more of a don't emphasis. So, so just think about this for just a moment. Our reading and our meditation on the scriptures, that, that's a do emphasis. Our praying, that's a do emphasis. Our giving, that's a do emphasis our serving, our sharing the gospel, those are do-oriented things. But, but fasting begins with a bit more of a don't emphasis. We don't eat or drink, and we replace that eating or drinking with spiritual activity. So fasting can easily be misunderstood. But church, we have to understand this. Just like our praying and giving in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches fasting as an assumption, not a suggestion. According to Jesus, this should be just as normal of a rhythm in our lives as his followers as any other spiritual discipline that we would do. So we can't just opt out of fasting any more than we would opt out of praying or opt out of giving or opt out of meditating on the scriptures. And just like prayer, fasting is a spiritual discipline that should naturally overflow out of a heart that's satisfied in Jesus Christ. So again, longer introduction this morning, but, but just, I want for just a moment to talk about the what and the why of fasting. Again, we've seen the definition from Foster. Fasting is voluntary refrain of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. So in fasting, this is what we're doing. In fasting, we are connecting physical impulses to spiritual desires. That's what we're doing. We're connecting a physical impulse to a spiritual desire. Now, oftentimes the psalmist will write about having hearts and souls that hunger for God. I want to look for just a moment. Uh, Psalm chapter 63. This is the passage we started out our worship gathering with this morning. I'm going to read a little bit longer section here, verses 1 through 8, because the, the prayer of Psalm 63, this is the posture of the heart when we fast. Psalmist writes, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. Not just better than food, better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. That's the posture of our heart when we fast. 
It's, it's not just that our bodies would physically feel hungry, it's that our souls would fe- feel spiritually hungry. It's an aching and it's a longing in the depths of our soul to be satisfied by God. And so think about this for a moment. As we connect physical impulses to spiritual desires, this is why that's important. How could we know what it means to have a soul that hungers and thirsts for God if we haven't really experienced what it means to be hungry or thirsty? If we've not physically experienced that, how will we know what the posture of our hearts should be? So it's through the intentionality of practicing physical restraint, refraining from something, that we're preparing ourselves to practice spiritual restraint. Our best example of this is Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. So Jesus goes into the wilderness. He fasts for 40 days. And guys, I think Matthew chapter 4 verse 2 is the most obvious verse in the Bible. It says, after not eating for 40 days, he was hungry. It's like that the Bible just made sure we knew that. And it's, it's an important verse, though, because it shows us, man, that's Jesus in his full humanity. He is fully divine. He's also fully man. And he experienced the, the physical limitations of humanity. So he experienced things like hunger. And what does Satan do in that moment of hunger? He comes to him in temptation, right? He comes to him and he, and he tempts him. He goes on like this three times. He says, hey, command those stones to become loaves of bread. He says, hey, throw yourself down from the temple mount." Your father will send angels to protect you. He says, hey, bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. What's Jesus been doing for the last 40 days? For the last 40 days, he has become totally independent of any sort of physical substance to sustain him and carry him. And he has become totally dependent on his heavenly father. And with temptation after temptation after temptation, what does he do? He refutes Satan with the word of God. He refutes him with the word of God. So that's, that's our example. That, that's who Jesus is. Because for 40 days, Jesus had been practicing the physical discipline of fasting, which made him totally dependent on the Father, that's what sustains him in the face of temptation. So fasting then, it gets the, the voluntary refrain of a normal function, that's the what, for the sake of intense spiritual activity, and that is the why. As we decrease our physical intake, we're increasing our spiritual dependency, and we connect those physical impulses to spiritual desires. So again, longer introduction this morning. That's the what and the why. Now, what does Jesus teach us about fasting? Three very simple truths that we're going to look at together this morning. Matthew 6, 16, Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. And truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So once again, bit of of review for us this morning. Jesus teaches fasting out of assumption. Jesus teaches fasting as an assumption. The the information that he gives us here, it's, it's not if you fast, it's not should you fast, it's not in the event that you decide to fast, it's when you fast. Jesus says, and when you fast. Everybody say when. Say when. There we go. I feel like Doc Holliday up here. Say when. <laughs> Tombstone fans, where you at? There we go. All right. Just making sure that reference landed there. Not if you fast, not should you fast, but when you fast. So he teaches fasting for us as an assumption. We see it. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus models fasting. Matthew chapter 6, right here, Jesus is teaching on fasting. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus anticipated a day when all of his disciples would fast. This is what he says in Matthew 9, 14 through 15. It says, then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? He said, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. 
So Jesus anticipated this, a day when all of his disciples would seek him through fasting. Jesus expected that when he finished his earthly ministry and was no longer physically present, that his disciples would regularly fast. And so church, as much as we put an emphasis on Bible reading plans and devotional books, gathering together for worship, just as those are natural rhythms in our lives, fasting should be a natural rhythm that's built into our lives. So Jesus teaches fasting as an assumption, not as a suggestion. Matthew 6, 17, Jesus goes on in this passage to say, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. So Jesus shows us second in this passage that uh, fasting will test our authenticity. It'll test our authenticity, just like our giving, just like our praying. Jesus says fasting will test your authenticity. What we will reveal as we do these things is whether or not we're doing it to the praise of man or whether or not we're doing this to the glory of God. And Jesus shows us, just like giving, just like praying, we don't do this in order to be seen by others. Again, just imagine the picture here with the scribes and the Pharisees and their followers. It was attention-seeking behavior. They, they were desperate to see, for someone to recognize and notice just how holy they were. And so you think about this, they've gone a few days without food, and then they, they walk out, and what are they doing? They're just dragging along, dragging along, dragging along. Somebody says, hey, Mr. Mr. Pharisee, like, hey, what, what's, what's the matter? What, what's going on, man? He's like, oh, you know, I'm fasting, seeking the Lord with my whole heart. Been doing it for like a week, because I, I fast for long periods of time. Like, so, so just pray for me. My body's so weary. I'm just so tired. I'm just so, so worn out from, from how wholeheartedly zealous I am about seeking the Lord. And Jesus says, please don't be that guy. Please don't be that guy. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. We looked at this word a couple weeks ago, right? We tend to think of a hypocrite as someone who says one thing and does another, but that's not how Jesus uses the word. According to Jesus, a hypocrite's not just somebody who says something and does another thing. Jesus says a hypocrite can be somebody who does the right thing, but actually does it from the wrong motivation. Church, God looks at our heart. He doesn't just look at what we do. He looks at the motive behind what we're doing. And man, uh, we, we talked about this as a community group a couple weeks ago. That is humbling, right? Because I don't think that God wants us to live in this paralysis and this fear of, oh man, should I do this? Because I'm, I'm not sure my heart's in the right place. And, 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 but man, we, we just talked about how, how humbling that is is that sometimes we can do the right thing, but if we're being honest with ourselves later, realize like I, I totally had the wrong motive in this. And all of that just made me say, thank God for his grace, right? Thank God for his grace. He doesn't just see what we do, he sees our hearts. We should constantly be examining ourselves, checking ourselves, and asking the Holy Spirit, search us. Search me, illuminate my heart, show me. Is my motive pure in this? Is my desire pure in this? Am I doing this for the glory of others? Am I doing this because I want to see your name glorified above all else? It's inviting accountability into our lives of others who can ask us these questions as well in searching the heart because fasting will test our authenticity. So the implications here from Jesus are clear. When, when our primary motive in any of our spiritual disciplines is to be seen by others, all of those works go unseen by God. He doesn't just see what we do. He sees the heart behind our doing. Verse 18, Jesus closes this out saying, we do this that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And he says, your father who sees in secret, once again, repeats the promise, he will reward you. So third, Jesus shows us this morning that fasting should be motivated by the father's approval. That's our motive in doing this. 
We don't do this because we want to be seen as holy. We don't want to do this because we want to be perceived by others as righteous, because we want to be celebrated as those who are seriously devoted and, and super zealous. We don't do those things. No, we do this, church, because we have already received the approval of our Heavenly Father. And again, what's the promise? He says, we do these things in secret that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is such a great promise for us. This should invite the question, well, then what is the reward? How does he reward us? Let's go back to earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and 6, the other time that Jesus has talked about hunger and thirst in these chapters. And what's the promise of Matthew 5, 6? He says, blessed are you when you what? When you hunger and thirst for what? And what does he promise will happen if we hunger and thirst for righteousness? You'll be satisfied. Blessed are you, Jesus says, when you feel that ache in your soul. Blessed are you, Jesus says, when your spirit is parched, when you feel the aching and the longing of your soul. Blessed are you when you recognize that it can't be filled up by the junk food of the world. Blessed are you when you recognize that you need something better. You need something different. You need something greater. And blessed are you when you recognize you don't have the righteousness you desire, but you hunger and thirst for it because the promise is you will be satisfied. If you ache for this, if you long for this, if you you recognize within yourself, I don't have this, but Lord, I want it, he promises you'll receive the satisfaction you desire. That's the reward. That, that, That is the reward. This is what's happening, church, as we fast. It's decreased dependency on physical desire is leading to increased intimacy with our Heavenly Father. It's deepening our relationship with Him. So understand that the goal here isn't just to go without food, right? Like, that's just a diet, right? We can all do that. But the goal is not just to go without food. The goal is deeper intimacy with God. Our fasting is a feasting. We're not just refraining from food. Our goal isn't just to go hungry. Our goal is to hunger for God. And the promise that we receive here is your Father who sees this in secret will reward you and you will find satisfaction for your souls. So we seek deeper satisfaction in the fullness of the Father as our souls become better rested in his grace. Now, just as we start to wrap things up this morning, just very quickly here. Now, practically, what does fasting look like? Okay, as, as I'm abstaining from things, as I cut things temporarily or permanently out of my life, what is the purpose of that? And, and what am I replacing it with exactly? How is it that I am still being fed even though I'm going without food? And so I just want to give a couple of examples here. Now, in this specific context, it's about food and drink. And most biblical fasting does tend to focus on food and drink. But, but fasting really could involve anything upon which you have become physically dependent. Anything that is a normal function, anything that's a dependency on you or for you that you can temporarily remove out of your life for the sake of increased spiritual activity. Now, uh, you know, other examples could be things like caffeine. It could be things like, like digital media. Anything that you are dependent on to, to bring satisfaction to your soul, these things, I believe, are fair game for fasting. You know, this is a, a passage of scripture not many people talk about. But even in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the apostle Paul says that, that husbands and wives may agree for a season to refrain from sexual intimacy for the express purpose of devoting themselves more fully to prayer. So fasting could be anything in our lives from which we're seeking ultimate pleasure, ultimate satisfaction, anything to fill the void of our soul except for God. That, like, that's anything that we are dependent on that we could temporarily remove so that we can increase our dependency on the Father. So again, how does this work? 
How does this work? Well, here's a few examples. So as we fast from food, what are we doing? Lord, Lord, as my stomach hungers for food right now, as I feel the ache in my stomach for food, let my soul hunger and ache for you. And we pray that with the promise that we will find satisfaction in the same way that eventually food will go back to our stomachs and and give us the satisfaction we need physically, we can trust that the Lord is gonna bring the satisfaction we need spiritually. We're praying, Lord, as I seek strength and nourishment from a meal, be strength and nourishment to my heart. As I depend on food to live, so my soul depends on you and your word for eternal life. Say you cut something out of your life for a season, you know, related to, to digital media, your TV or sports or movies or social media, and then the impulse strikes. You know, you grab the remote, you grab the phone for for that quick fix, whatever it is. It's laying that off to the side. Lord, as I seek to be satisfied by entertainment, let my soul be satisfied in you and you alone. As I'm seeking to find joy, as, as I'm tempted to just go numb my mind, instead, let me understand that the fullness of joy comes from life in you and in your presence or pleasures forevermore. I think especially in light of the context of Matthew 6, not doing things to be seen by others I think that's why it makes social media a fair game for a conversation like this. Because that so easily becomes a world where, where man, social media j- just has created this environment where we, we now live in, in so many ways, I fear, on this soul-crushing dependency on the approval and praise of others. Maybe sometimes without even realizing that we're doing it. When we go, we go post something, we go share something online, and, and man, when we get the likes and when we get the comments and when we get the shares and when we get the attention, everything is good. But the moment you share something that you're convinced everybody should just be pumped about, should just think is amazing, and then you don't get that approval, if you live for that, friends, it will destroy your soul. And so I, I think, I mean, especially in light of the cultural moment that we are in right now, maybe the thing we need to fast from is any attempt to receive the praise of man anything that we want to put out there that we are expecting to receive approval and praise from anyone other than our heavenly father. You know, what disconnecting from this world allows us to do is to remember that we already have the eternal attention and approval of our heavenly father. Like, why do we run to these other things for satisfaction? Why do we run to these other things for approval and, and attention? We run to these things because we forget that we already have it in him. And church, this is the great thing about our Heavenly Father. You don't have to perform to get his attention and his approval. His attention and his approval is not contingent on your ability to perform for him. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you have received it completely. That's the gift of the gospel. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, because he lived the perfect life you couldn't live, because he was totally sinless in everything that he did because he went to the cross and satisfied the debt you owed because of sin, because he overcame the grave. It's because of his performance and your faith in his performance and believing that he has done everything necessary for you to be saved. That's how you receive the approval of the Father because he's not looking at you to perform. He's looking at how Jesus has already performed and he's now crediting that to you and saying that's yours as well. And you receive the same approval. We receive the same attention from our Father through faith in Jesus Christ. We don't have to earn it from others. And if you live by the praise of man, I promise you, you will die when you don't have it. And it creates a soul-crushing dependency when we seek it from others. 
And so here's what I want to do as we start to close out our time together this morning is uh, just coming off the heels of what we've looked at over the last four weeks from Matthew chapter 6, our three and when yous, and when you give, and when you pray, and when you fast. Um, I want to lay out for you this morning and introduce for you a challenge that we're extending to our congregation for the last 40 days of this year. This is going to start next week. And again, we're just giving you to this, th- this way because we want this to go ahead and be on your radar. And those of you in community groups, this is going to be part of your discussion together this week. Over the course of the next week, I want you to begin praying about these things and considering about these things and uh, just going before the Lord and asking him to move you uh, as he sees fit um, to move. And so we've given three challenges, Matthew chapter 6. We're just calling this the Matthew 6 challenge, focused on these statements, and when you give and when you pray and when you fast. And so if you look at the back of your worship guide, you you get just basic details on these things. Again, we're going to expand on this a whole lot more next week, but I want you to just on your radar here for the next several days. So as we close out this year, we believe the Lord's calling us into a season of giving and praying and fasting. Um, we're, we're about to enter into a significant transition period as a church. As we move away from here and into our new home in Shell Point, the Lord is about to open up doors of ministry opportunity that we've really not been able to have over the last six years because of our challenges related to space. And that challenge is about to go away. And so the Lord's about to just send us into a brand new season of ministry. And and listen, we don't know exactly what that looks like yet, but we just know that we want to be ready when we get there. We want to have have hearts and souls that are hungering and thirsting for for him to move. And so uh, next week, we'll give you some challenges to close the year in giving. The Lord has has, uh, presented a few opportunities to our congregation as we close out this year. And so there's going to be challenges in giving, both for our local church and opportunities outside of our local church. Then there's going to be a challenge in praying. We've just broken down the Lord's Prayer into uh, daily increments. And next week, what you'll see are specific areas of focus. Some of those have come from staff and elders and community group leaders and some of you um, who have chimed in on that. So just specific areas of focus. So Monday, uh, next week, we'll, we'll be focusing our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so our prayers that day will focus on the glory and the name and the renown of God. And on Tuesdays, we'll pray on, focus on praying your kingdom come. Wednesdays, your will be done. We'll do that through the week. And then what we're challenging you to do on Sundays is to take 15 to 20 minutes and just read through the Sermon on the Mount. Let's, let's spend this year, let's have several times and opportunities closing out the year that we just reorient ourselves to the Jesus way. That we, we go into a new year, a new season of ministry, totally focused on what it means to be his people and faithfully living that out as he calls us to. And then finally, the, the final challenge off the heels of what we looked at this morning is going to be in fasting. It's going to be in fasting. And, and part of why, again, we want to give this to you a week in advance, because for many of us, I, I, would, I would be willing to bet this one is probably uh, less of a rhythm for us. We're more inclined to give, we're more inclined to pray, we're more inclined to read, maybe less inclined to fast. And so, so in a sense this morning, it's going to sound weird, in a sense this morning, but we're challenging you to spend the next week and a half um, praying about praying. Does that make sense? Like, like pray, going before the Lord and, and asking him to start opening up your heart, opening up your mind. How are you calling me to pray? How are you calling me to give? How are you calling me to fast? So you'll talk about this in your community groups a little bit this week. And so just be thinking about that. Is the Lord impressing on your heart to, uh, to fast from one meal per day or one meal per week? Is that one day per week? Is it one full week? Is it one full month? Is it all 40 days? Now, now listen, the Lord is absolutely going to test us in this because as somebody, uh, many pointed out on the way out of the first service this morning, hey, Taylor, you know Thanksgiving is like in there, right? Like that's a thing. And so I just, I just in advance, like I caution you in your, in your commitments, Right? 
Like, like you, you're, you're gonna, if you're not careful, really be praying Thanksgiving Day over and over and over again, uh, lead me not into temptation, right? Like, let's, let's not set ourselves up for failure in, in these things, but be praying. Like, Lord, uh, how can I incorporate this rhythm into my life? Um, how, how can I commit to this? And so there's two days where we're just calling our whole church collectively to a day of fasting. That's uh, the 22nd and December 31st. So we're gonna kick off the 40 days and close the 40 days um, with just a day of fasting and focused prayer. So that's what's coming in the next week and a half. And again, we just wanted that on your radar this week so that you can be considering um, how is the Lord calling me to respond. So again, church, you know, as we, we go into a new season of ministry, I, I don't know exactly what the Lord has planned. I really, really don't. But what I do know is this. Whatever he has for us next, I just want us to show up in a place where we've already resolved to be utterly dependent on him. I just, I just want us to be a people who, who live out what we sang a few moments ago. We depend on you. We rely on you. You're the vine, we're the branches. Apart from you, we can do nothing. I've got a tree in the woods back behind our house that is starting to die, and so it's dropping branches and stuff. And, and so uh, it had dropped a couple of branches side by side. And, and so one branch had been dead for a very long time, and it was very brittle. Our boys were able to pick it up and basically snap it in half right away, and we turned it into firewood later. But then there was another branch that had fallen, and, and it still had a bunch of leaves on it. It still looked very, very healthy. And they couldn't pull that one apart quite yet because it wasn't as dry and brittle as the other one. And again, when you, you hold up the one branch with all the leaves on it, you hold up the other branch, this is dry, um, which one of those is still alive? Neither. And why is neither one of them still alive? Because it's not connected to the tree. And so here's the caution for us this morning. I don't want us to be a church that looks alive. I don't want us to be a church that has the illusion of life and the illusion of, of fruit. And I certainly don't want us to become the church that, that, that has, is, is totally dead and brittle and dry and decaying and, and falling apart. No, we, we have to remain connected to the source. He's the vine, we're the branches. And if we disconnect from that, even if we look fruitful, even if we look beautiful, the reality is apart from him, we will do nothing. We'll do nothing. And so that's our prayer. Again, Lord, we depend on you. We depend on you. We depend on you. So we give and we pray and we fast and we do it in total and utter dependence on the Lord, trusting that he's going to move. Church, our fasting is a feasting. We're not just abstaining from food. The goal here is not just to be hungry. The goal is to hunger for God. And as we hunger for him, we'll be satisfied in him. Amen. So I want you to, we're going to put the words of Psalm 63.1 on the screen here. We read this just a moment ago, and I'm just going to invite you to read this out loud with me, actually. This is going to begin our time of prayer as we prepare our hearts and mind for communion this morning. Let's let this be our prayer to the Lord today, and then we'll prepare our hearts for communion, and then we'll continue in worship together. Let's read these words together, Psalm 63.1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So Father, that's our prayer, Lord. That is the desire of our heart this morning, that we would have souls that hunger for you and thirst for you and flesh that faints for you, that as we feel hunger and thirst in our bodies, that that would become the posture of our hearts and our souls. Or we come to you confessing that we are empty, that we're dry, that we are prone, we are tempted to satisfy ourselves with the empty things of this world. Help us to rest in the promise confidently that if we hunger and thirst for your righteousness, we will be satisfied. 
Teach us what it means to hunger and thirst. Will you create in us a new hunger and a new thirst for you? A hunger and a thirst that we refuse to even attempt to satisfy on the things of this world. Help us to be content knowing that you, Father, see us. So guard us against living for the glory of man. Guard us against living for the praise of others. Help us to walk in your way.